friends, welcome back to another episode of Hime's podcast and today I'm going to be talking about the pro-choice debate and I will be specifically addressing Christians who consider themselves pro-choice or dare I may say progressive Christians as well um, because this has been heavy on my heart and I am compelled by love to give you guys um, this kind of perspective and I won't be sharing my own perspective I'll be sharing scriptures um, because ultimately at the end of the day that matters more than anything I could ever give you or any opinion or any fallacy or any logic from my own brain that I can give you because none of that suffices when held up um, next to the word of God um, so yeah I just wanted to address this to pro-Christians because um, you know specifically to pro-Christians pro sorry, pro-choice Christians, um, because I recognize that there is each, there is a community of people who prefer to debate this issue from a theological perspective, from an ethics perspective, from a science perspective, um, but today we're just going to be talking about it from a Christian perspective, and may, might I add, like, from an Abrahamic faith perspective, but I'll just be referring to the Bible. I won't be referring to the Quran or the Torah, because the Bible is what I know, and it is the word of God. So um, let's get into it. So first, I would like to open up by saying that, yes, God does give us a choice. Um, in Deuteronomy thirty nineteen, it says, quote, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live, end quote. So obviously in this verse, the Lord does give us the choice between life and death. But he, I like how he, all, he also words it as blessing and cursing. And then he says, therefore, choose life. And get and if what follows is that both thou and thy seed may live. So it's really interesting to see how he calls it blessing, which is life, and cursing, which is death. So if we choose life, then that is a blessing. But if we choose the latter, then that is a curse. Next, I would like to say that, yes, we do have free will over our bodies, we have, you know, we do have free will, but God says our body is a temple that we use to glorify him. And this world will try to bring up bodily autonomy that this body that I have is mine alone and I can use it for whatever I please. I can do whatever I want with it. And it's only God who judges me, right? That's a, you know, a debate, an argument that is used. But in 1 Corinthians six nineteen to 20, it says, quote, I know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, end quote, and God's as an apostrophe as. So this is really interesting because it says glorify God in your body, and this scripture is referring to sexual immorality, might I add. Um, but yeah, it's like, this body is not mine, it belongs to God, so everything that I do in it and through it is you know should glorify him and we're not perfect for sure like we're not perfect by any means you know we will do things that we're not proud of we will say things with our tongue that we're not proud of we'll go places we're not supposed to go you know that'll get us into trouble and we put markings on our bodies that we're not proud of you know scars and markings and drawings like that that we're not proud of but at the end of the day we should be striving to glorify God in our body and especially if you know that it's a sin that to be you know engaging in acts that are not of God that go against his word 
then, you know, all the more that, you know, we should remember what God says about us. And our body is that. It's a temple that we can use to glorify Him. It is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in us. Um, and everything we do should be used to glorify Him. Because, as Matthew five sixteen put it, like, we need to let our light shine before others so that they may see the good work of Christ in us and glorify Him who is in heaven. So, it all goes back to God. You know, we... It's, it's difficult, it's really difficult to give up ourselves, which I will also, you know, talk about in a bit, deny ourselves. It's a struggle to deny ourselves and to take up our cross daily and follow Christ. Um, but, you know, the struggle is worth it. And in the end, we do get the reward that God, you know, the gift of eternal life through Christ. Um, and it's not easy. You know, and another thing is that we glorify God as the verse says, how do we glorify God, right? We glorify God by heeding his warnings against sin. Um, so Second Timothy 2 verse 22 says, Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace, with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart, end quote. First um, Peter 2.11 says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, I love that word, pilgrims, abstain from fleshy lusts which war against the soul, end quote. And again, Colossians 3.5, it warns against covetousness and idolatry. Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, such as fornication and cleanliness, inordinate affection, evil and covetousness, right? So we glorify God by heeding his warnings against sin. And he doesn't he these you know he doesn't um give us these warnings because he wants to be controlling or because he you know he wants us he wants power over us in a way that is like totalitarian or you know anything like that but he does this because he loves us because he doesn't want us to get into trouble and he wants us to come home to him and to glorify him right um and he does this because he doesn't want us to to get into trouble and he created us for a purpose right um and that purpose is to glorify him um and yes, the Bible does not mention abortion, but the principles about the value of life are very, very clear in the Bible. Exodus 21, verse 22 to 23 says, quote, If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine, and if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, end quote. Look at that, that last three words, life for life. God considers the life in the womb of that mother just as important as the life of that grown man. And if you think about that, it just shows that the life inside of the womb, that the Lord has them in the palm of his hand, that the Lord makes them, you know, that they are alive whether no matter what the world says, that that child in the womb, from the first week, from the you know from the moment of conception, that they are a human being, that that is a soul, that that is a God-given soul to that child, and that child has life inside of them already. Next, God designs us with purpose, and He knows our purpose. You know, I'm not gonna go deep into these verses, but. Jeremiah what one five we all know it it says quote before I formed thee in my belly I knew thee and before thou you know camest forth out of the womb I sanctified thee and I ordained thee a prophet among the nations end quote so here God is talking to Jeremiah one of the prophets and saying to him you know look I knew you before you even came into this world in your mother's stomach and her womb I knew you 
And it goes to show that the Lord knows us before we were even formed in our mother's womb. It goes to show us that he formed us and he knew us. He had a purpose for us, no matter the way that we were conceived. You know, no matter the circumstances that we were conceived in, whether it was intentional, unintentional, absolutely violent, you know, the Lord know, the Lord sees it all and he understands and he he is in a, he is with us in our pain. But, you know, a child that is conceived in such cases is a special life and it is not by accident. The Lord knew what he was doing when he created humans to um you know reproduce in such a way he knew what he was doing when he created us like that he knew what he was doing when he created the you know the the feelings and the the hormones inside of us that that crave this kind of attention from someone of the opposite sex and he knew what he was doing with all that so that's why it's not an it's not a surprise when a life comes from any kind of you know um you know pregnancy right when i went to when a male and a female come together and that and a life is created, it is not a surprise to God. And again, in Psalms 139, verse 13 to 16, it says, quote, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. End quote. You know, David right here, he paints a beautiful picture of how the Lord fashions us in our mother's womb and how we are, you know, he makes us beautifully and for a purpose. And he looks at us lovingly while we are in our mother's womb. And how, how are we to take away that love that the Lord looks at us with? you know, from awful circumstances, from quote-unquote unplanned circumstances. Next, all human life is created by God for his purpose. You know, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Christ calls us to deny ourselves, and this is what I was talking about earlier. Luke 9 verse 23 says, quote, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. End quote. Following Christ is not easy. It's, not, it's never going to be easy. You know, he never promised it was going to be easy. It's going to be painful. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to be hard. We're going to be shunned by the world. We're going to be persecuted by the world. But we, but when we have Christ, it's like really nothing else can compare. Even, even so, like it's just, it's just like the world has, um, the world has almost brainwashed us into being selfless, self love, you know, self care, mental health care, which is all important, but it shouldn't come before Christ. You know, it shouldn't. We shouldn't even like put that before Christ because we're not meant to be comfortable in this world we're not meant for this world this world is not our home it doesn't matter what you have here whether you have whether you're poor whether you're rich it doesn't matter because this isn't our home it this isn't our home so why are we trying so hard to be comfortable why are we trying so hard to appease people why are we trying so hard to be complacent in other people's sin just so that we can be, you know, we don't have to 
interfere or, you know, get in the way or whatever. We are called to be lights. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see, you know, the good works in you and glorify your Father in heaven. We're not meant to, we're not meant to look like the world, you guys. We're not meant to be like the world. We're meant to stand out. We're meant to stand for goodness. We're meant to stand for righteousness. And even even if you think about it, so, you know, I'm sure we've all heard those, um, those, um, you know, debates, those arguments where, oh, you know, babies, if they're born in a, you know, poverty-stricken environment or in a poverty-stricken lifestyle, then, you know, you know, it's better for them to be dead, which is absolutely horrific because if you think about it, Jesus was born from poverty and lived in a humble town. Luke 12, 2 says, And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in, in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, end quote. You see it all the time. We, see, we take it for granted. We see it all the time during Christmas. Jesus and Mary and Joseph and the three wise men and the donkeys and the, the sheep and the cow and the horses, whatever animals were in there, chickens maybe. We see this visual of Jesus being born in a manger, surrounded by animals, surrounded by the animals and their, you know, uncleanliness, you know, their, 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 you know, it's just unclean. And it wasn't a guest house. It was literally a house for animals. Mary could have, what if Mary looked at this type of environment and she went, oh, ain't no way. Like, I'm not going to give birth to my son here. You were right. Like, like the angel told me, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're supposed to be like the Messiah. And like, why is he being born here? You know what I mean? Like, what if Mary said that? What if she was like, it's not worth it? Like, what if, you know what I mean? So it's like, you know, Jesus was born in a manger. And the manger is also like a symbol of humility, right? So it's like, it's so humble. You know, he wasn't born in a mansion. This is a, the guy that would die on a cross and save us from sin and redeem us so that we may spend eternity with God. This is the man and he was born in a manger surrounded by animals. This is him, right? And John one forty six says, And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see, end quote. So even here, Jesus was, was you know, in Nazareth, right? He was raised, he grew up in Nazareth. And Nazareth was not a very, um, it wasn't a very upheld town. It wasn't a very revered town, right? Because Nathaniel is saying, right, can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? You know, it's kind of like the unknown parts of whatever state you're from. You know, the one that nobody really talks about. No tourists care to go there. Nothing really happens there. But I'm, I'm sure, you know, this town was very rich in its own things. But the point is, like, from the poverty of our Savior's birth, we see the beauty of God. And the humility despite redeeming humanity from sin. And so what kind of what kind of argument is it to say, oh, this child is going to be living in poverty and they're going to be born in such awful, horrific circumstances. That's not love. You know, it's like that's not hope. And we're as Christians, we're supposed to have love and we're supposed to have hope. And, you know, not just to adults and to, um, you know, the living, quote-unquote, people, like, people right now, like, but also to the unborn, to every single life, right? And another thing, during that time when Jesus was born, if you think about it, what was happening? What was Herod the Great doing? Have you heard, you know, Herod the Great? 
if you're familiar with him, what was he doing? Jesus was being hunted down straight out of the womb because Herod the Great was calling for the slaughter of young boys because he wanted to stop the Messiah from being born. And we can see this in Matthew 2.16. It says, quote, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and set forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coast thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So this was happening from 2 to 7 AD, I believe, or not AD, AD, right? Oh, shoot. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm so sorry. Don't take me, don't take me there. But when, when Jesus was born, right? When Jesus was born, according to this time, right? Herod the Great was really, he was calling for the, the slaughter of children because he didn't want the Messiah to be born. Imagine, imagine Mary. She was like, Ain't no way am I going to bring this child into the world if he's just going to be, you know, if he's just going to be hunted down. What if he's hunted, you know, what if he gets, what if we, they find him in like two years and then he's killed, right? Because this went on for a while. This went on for like two, three, four, five, six, seven. This went on for like five, six years. This, this slaughtering of young kids by Herod the Great. This went on for years. And Jesus, like... Mary could have easily said, oh, you know what, ain't no way, he doesn't, do this. you know, there's no way that I'm going to make, like, he can't be born into this world, that's literally going after him, that's literally, like, this guy who's trying to kill young kids, there's no way that I'm going to bring him into this world and let him, and allow him to go through that, it, it could have, you know, it could have been, imagine if she did that, we wouldn't have a savior, imagine if she had that kind of mindset that wasn't hopeful, that wasn't faithful, that wasn't trusting God, we wouldn't have a savior, and that's like another thing, you know, warning, you know, the Bible, it warns us against complacency. It warns us against being cool with the way the world is doing things, right? Amos 6.1 says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. So it's interesting where it starts with, Woe to them that are in, of ease, that are at ease in Zion. And that can be applied like, woe to us who are at ease in the world way too easily. In Revelations 2 verse 4 to 5, it says, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. So what are the first works? What are the first works? Love God. Matthew 22, verse 37 to 39 says, Jesus said unto them, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And then it goes on to say, and the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But what does it mean to love thy neighbor, right? It means to, you know, serve them, of course. It means to, you know, have compassion. But it also means, you know, to lovingly rebuke the sin in their life to lovingly rebuke when you see them going down a path that is unrighteous it's not because you're righteous at all no we're all unrighteous but it's out of love it's out of like hey you know we're both you know we're both sinful and i see like you know i'm sinful you're sinful too but let's follow the lord together let's let me show him how much he loves you and it doesn't mean that we have to be complacent and then killing their children in order for them to feel loved they don't have to kill their child in order for us, for in order for us, you know, in order for them to feel love. 
And First John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So I warn us to not love the world, to not be comfortable in the world, to not be comfortable with what the world is doing regarding these worldly matters and, and you know, being too comfortable with like bodily autonomy and my body, my choice. It's not even your body. It's another human's in your body. None of this, you know, we should be comfortable with because it's quite clear that, you know, we shouldn't love the world. We shouldn't be friends with the world. Don't be friends with the world. Be friends of God. Be friends of God. And that's really all I have to say about this issue for now. There's, I feel like there's definitely a lot, but you know, it's not, it's not liberals. It's not progressives that make me mad. Honestly, it's not, it's not them that make me mad or, you know, make me feel like I need to stand up. It's weak leadership in the church, which I think I'll get into in another video, but it's weak leadership that is destroying us from the inside out. Because if you don't have a leader that stands for godly values and who is not afraid to be canceled, then you have a weak leader. I'm sorry. Like, and I'm honestly, this is why I make my videos. This is why I do what I do and I say what I say. And I don't care if like YouTube flags me or anything like that. Because I wish this was said more. I wish this was said more in the church. And I wish people were not afraid. Leaders, I don't care about your title. I don't care about your title. I don't even care. Like anybody, whoever will say this kind of thing, that's a leader. It doesn't matter who's standing on the stage or who's in front of the crowd or on the pulpit. This is a leader. If you stand up for these kinds of values, if you really, really stand up for the Bible and what the Bible says, that is a leader. And that is a wise counsel that I will follow and that I will respect. So food for thought. Like I, I, that wasn't even on you know my list of things to say, but I just wanted to get that out there. And as I said, that's why I make these videos because... I wish I was told these things in church. These are the things that I want to be taught in church. These are the things that I want to be said in church. And I, you know, I don't know who's saying this and who's not, but I'm going to say it because I care about you and I love you. And I don't want you to go down a path that will lead you to hell. You know, we're all destined for hell. But once you accept Christ, then you're, you know, you don't have to go there. We don't have to go there. That's not our home. Christ didn't, you know, God didn't make hell for us. Christ didn't die on the cross so that, you know, we can, we're saved by works. We're not saved by works. We're saved by salvation in Christ. And I pray that you can receive this in your heart and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't speak this passionately. I'm not, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. I love you. I want you to understand how much God loves you too. And I have this passion because I care about you. And I'm sorry if it if it comes out, you know, scary or whatever, or like condescending. I'm not, I don't mean to condescend you. I just want you to understand that there's an enemy out there. And he, the enemy is bent on dragging people to hell with him. And I don't want you to be one of those people. And this is why I say what I say. God loves you. God loves you. Please accept him. Please accept him. You know, you don't have to listen to me. Literally, turn me off. Turn me off. Go, go read your Bible. Go read the Bible. Go pray. Um... And yeah, go, go pray, go read your Bible and turn this off right after. So, <laughs> but yeah, um, I hope you have a good night, good evening, good morning, wherever you're going. Um, and see you in the next one. God bless you.